Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to fascinating, intriguing and magnificent people from across the globe that inspire comedians like you and me to live this comedic journey of bombing and making people laugh on our own terms. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends, subscribe and give us a five-star view on Amazon or iTunes. Now, today's guest is an absolute wonder. He is fish and chips with a tartar sauce. He is amazing. He is the amazing comedian who blends magic and comedy. And, you know, he, he is the pure example of turning magic, of turning, of showing that comedy can be magical. Please welcome Wayne the Weird. Hello. <laughs> interesting, interesting introduction there. <laughs> what was your thought on that, Wayne? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and so, Wayne, shall I call you Wayne the Weird or Wayne Shakespeare? Wayne's fine, or yeah, Wayne Shakespeare's fine, so whatever. Well, I call you John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you're. you're you're an act that does things in your own way. I've seen clips of you, I've seen your act, but you, you like to do your own sort of way of doing things. It's a very distinct style and it is effectively like MMA and comedy, magic and comedy making this unique blend. Some might say that. <laughs> how did you like start in comedy, Wayne? And like, how did you lead into this amalgamation of chips and burger sauce. <laughs> um, well, I, I started out uh, two what was it, about two thousand three. Um, I had uh, my mum bought me a autobiography of David Blaine, so from there I learned a couple of card tricks out of that, and that sort of started my interest in like magic. Um, and throughout sort of from two thousand two thousand three two thousand nine, I was just doing close up magic for. I mean, I dabbled in doing kids parties, the hell on earth, because there's no, there's no like way that you can fool kids these days. Because kids, when the kids don't have a concept of what isn't isn't possible, they they're harder to fool than adults. So, um, so yeah, the kids party didn't go particularly great. Um, and then from that, I got involved in a variety show for um, that my uh, the village where my nan used to live. Um, they used to do like an annual variety show. So I started doing a few things. Uh, on stage there just to test the water and obviously it was I did it with a comedy element because I was always a massive fan of like let's say comedy and stuff um from, from when I was younger so that's where it sort of evolved um one of the first tricks I actually did for that is something I come up with myself which is like a card trick using a hoover so and that's uh, still stayed in my hack actually it's a pain in the ass to carry the hoover around everywhere so <laughs> but yeah so yeah like I say now I moved on into comedy in um 2009 so from there and that's sort of i still do the old close-up magic but now primarily stand-up stuff because i enjoy it ah because because and that i think i saw a clip of you with the hoover magic trick you ask them to pick a card or something and you go and you go okay now, now pick your card and they've already done it yeah yeah so i mean funnily enough that um i did i did a from doing the variety show before I started doing the comedy circuit really I, I'd done a few open mic gigs at that point I did a talent show uh near me and uh, in a venue and uh I'd done like an audition round which was like five minutes and then like two sort of 10 minute spots and uh one two grand so 
and the Hoover was part of one of the uh, one of the acts for that. So, and the, the, to be fair, the other acts that are on were all pretty, pretty much music based uh, singers and stuff. So it was. I think it was the element of me doing something a bit different, you know, as it was meant to be a variety show. So, like, um, what they, I think it was a take on. Uh, they called it Concord's Got Talent. So it was a take on Britain's Got Talent. But yeah, and it was all primarily singers that are on. So. Oh, okay. And do you get that same sort of effect when you're on a bill that's mostly just like set up punchline? Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I always, or have a lineup, so I always, always a mix, obviously, like the booker chooses the different styles of acts they want. Um, obviously, along with the, the magic and stuff, there's a few one-liners that I throw in. Um, they sometimes hit, sometimes don't. So I've sort of got a backup in the magic, which has got sort of comedy built into it. I mean, I've got 101,000 tricks I could do, but when I pick a trick for my act, it's always got to be something that can have a comedy element thrown into it. Otherwise, it sort of doesn't really fit into the on the comedy circuit or, you know, the comedy book, everyone booked to do comedy as such. So, you know. But you're, you're sort of a magician and comedian. Like, how do you manage to... So you you focus you focus more on comedy now, right? Yeah. But, so did you just fall into comedy, or did you actually decide to go straight into stand up with the magic? Um, I just decided to do it because I, I enjoyed doing it. Um, like I say, um, the tricks have got to have a comedy element, but I, I always kick myself if you know because obviously going back to Tommy Cooper, you're doing magic and things go wrong. People expect it, but. I still kick myself after a gig if I, I've done, done a trick because all the tricks should primarily work and achieve the magical element. And I and sometimes they haven't for, for various reasons. Um, and I still kick myself afterwards if they've, if they've not gone how I want them to go, even though the audience enjoyed the show and laughed. So. Uh. Okay. But did you lead straight into, did you, because you've, did you go straight from magic into stand up, or like what was the journey? You did magic for five years, and yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I started doing variety shows. Started out doing open spots um, uh, a lot of the time. I mean, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of open spots that probably believe that you can, you know, do twenty minutes. I mean, sometimes I, was, I did a few variety shows, and I'd go on. You know, you have no concept of time, and you start out, so you go on the longer than it was, and then you watch a video back and find out it wasn't entertaining. So it was I think it was a learning curve to learn that I couldn't just go on and do like 15 20 minutes at a gig I mean when I started out and I was doing um getting my first paid 15 spots the, the, my acts only lasted about 12 minutes um when I watched it back on video but because I was like stretch you know stretching the time but I suppose in summer so it's better to go on and do slightly less rather than go on too long and be a bit sort of boring so speak so Okay, and what so you started in 2009, like what yeah, yeah stand up stuff, yeah. But what was the and the magic you started way earlier than that? You started, yeah, 2003, yeah, late 2000. Okay, and and how do the two worlds compare in terms of when you're performing in magic based audiences and stand up audiences? I mean. I mean, when you're doing like close-up magic, you could have, um, you know, you could go to a venue, depends how long you book for an hour or two hours, you could have like 20 tables to go to a night. So you, you, it's almost like you're doing a performance, like 
like say there's 10 tables it's almost like you're doing 10 stand-up performances you, you spend like 10 15 minutes at a table so and it's it, it can be a challenge especially at the start of the evening people you know might not be had well oiled with drinks or interested so it is a challenge to keep starting again at another table doing like 10 15 minutes you know like so when it comes to doing stand-up and you're doing a 15 minute spot it's easier because then you know you're on and you're off so you've not got a get the energy back up to start again at another table, you know, with another fresh audience, especially. And it, I mean, even at venues like doing close-up magic, obviously the audience aren't primarily there for entertainment. They're there for whatever the functions for, be it a wedding or a party. So sometimes they're not interested. So like, whereas you go to a stand-up gig, people are there to see comedy. So It's more structured, you're saying. It's more... Yeah. But what, what what's your thoughts on like the stage time? Because you're doing ten sets effectively in one night, whilst in stand up you're just doing one set and then it's boom. Yeah, that's, I mean that's one of the elements why I enjoy it more because I you know do the set and get paid and get to go home. So, I mean you could there's obviously still times of waiting around and stuff uh, gigs, but yeah, I mean like I say sometimes it can be a challenge the the close up stuff more. So that's why like I said I need to do it sparingly now if you know people ask me. I didn't sort of advertise it that I do it. Oh, okay. Unless they pay you, like, it's a bit like, if you pay me the bucks, I'll do it. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I, like, even now I get booked to do, like, um, stand-up at weddings. I did one uh, in the middle of June, actually. There's there only, like, a family of about 30, obviously, with the lockdown rules and stuff. And the guy just basically said, he said, we'll set up, like, a gig. And to be fair, they just turned all the chairs around and set up, a, like, a, in a separate room. Um, and then afterwards, like if, if the gig's gone well and I've got a bit of time, then I might do a couple card tricks for the, for the young group members or whatever. So, but you know, like I said, I prefer to do the stand up. I mean, especially doing it at weddings, that can be a challenge, but like, because I always sort of tell people now that, especially with what we've gone through in the last year, that um, people want to chat to each other at a wedding. So it's difficult to expect them to sit still. You know, it's not like a gig gig, whereas, like, say, people turn up for the gig you know the lighting set the room set yeah. you know when it's going to be a challenge so i always yeah make sure the people are aware that you know you can't force people to sit there or have have a separate space for the people to go to to um to socialize because obviously people want to socialize more bearing in mind they're not seeing each other for a while now so how, how do you get the balance right of just going with the flow and trusting yourself but also using a bit of common sense because naomi paxton who plays ada camp she says a lot of the times, as you said just now, that in some rooms where she expects to do well, she doesn't do that well. But in some rooms where she's like, oh, I'm going to do terrible in this, she, she does brilliantly. Yeah. How do you balance that of just going with it, but also, um, you know, using a bit of prep for it? Because, you know, like doing rude jokes in front of kids, you don't do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think it, it all turns up, it depends, it all sort of hangs on how you turn up your attitude for the day basically of how you, you're prepared for the gig um you know what's going on in your life outside of the like gig you know the gig world for example so what, what sort of mood you turn up and whether how you want to play it but um yeah th I mean there's always instances where you, you expect things to go well and I mean probably the most enjoyable ones are the ones you think are going to be hard work and they're just great like you know they're the ones <laughs> sort of the treasure um because you know but then, like, the, sometimes you'll never understand, like, say, how things, why things have found out the way I have, you know. It could be, it could be the audience, it could be, you know, them just, you know, you don't know what, 
I mean, especially like sometimes like regular audiences and stuff, you don't know what acts they've seen before, you know. So sometimes people have a, you know, higher threshold of what they enjoy, you know. So, hmm. so one one thing that I've because you you said you're in sort of Southampton now, and yeah. like before the podcast started, you said there's a lot of gigs that start and they stop, but is down south is there not as many new material nights as there is perhaps in other parts of the country where you can then practice your stuff and then you go to the paid book book gigs that you do um th there are there's, there's there's a few popped up around that i i know of that i sort of if i want to try some new stuff out i go to like especially one of my hometowns like in the studio space of the little the local theater but um i think it's ultimately when people start out obviously they run new material nights and people move on um there was there was a lot running in the southampton area because the southampton university used to run like a comedy writing course or comedy comedy course at the university so um i know there's a lot of students run a few, quite a few gigs around the southampton area but that's that course no longer runs and they've moved on from um from uh from obviously from southampton i mean larry dean was one of the ones that started out he was like booking for on the student union comedy nights back when i sort of started out so mm. down there so and he's doing all right for himself now so oh he bloody is he's, <laughs> he's he's one of the funniest comics i've seen that that what's that dinosaur he joke he does that that's <laughs> brilliant But yeah, it's it's well. That's one of the funny things with comedy, isn't it? Like people that you've gigged with when you start out with, it's funny seeing them on TV. Like you, you used to have a yeah. gig with them, or you used to have a chat with them, and boom, yeah. <laughs> on TV. Yeah, yeah, no, no it's good. Yeah, quite a lot of, lot of, well, quite a good few. I, I remember. It's funny because I, you know, you could gig with a lot of people. Like especially, I mean, I've done like Light and Besman's Monkey Business one years ago, and there'd be like a lineup about getting on for 20 acts and um i i did that with larry dean i remember tom rosenthal was on it uh rob beckett did it you know back when i started so it's funny because like there's there's probably so many acts i wouldn't even remember but like i, I remember them from like back when they were doing open mic nights you know the material and stuff and how how they went down then so that obviously tells you how they made the success of it because obviously they're memorable when they're doing five minute open spots you know what also makes it also achievable because you in common one thing that i like about the uk comedy circuit is a lot of people that you see in tv you've probably gigged with if you're a comedian yeah, yeah that's other I, industries it's not like I, that i explain that a lot of people like you know people go to a pub and watch a band you know those bands have probably just done pub gigs but like when you explain to people there's not a massive you know i mean you could be like an open spot and you could quite easily probably get a gig with some bookers if you've done fairly well you could get a, a spot on a, a bill with a tv comedian like you know it's people don't appreciate that and it's great really because obviously you learn off them watch them play a live room because it's different to watching them on the telly you know and you can see i mean i've worked with a lot of acts on the telly and i've just seen them play off the room and not even do any material that they pre-set up just uh, i did a did a, we did like a charity hike from London to Portsmouth, and we had Joel Domic come down and did one of the one of the shows, one of the evenings. We did a gig each night, and he just basically spent a good sort of five ten minutes uh, playing off the uh, squeaky chairs in the room, like material about that. And it just, you know, it's great when you, people can do that, like you know, without sort of digging into their own material. So hmm. it's about more seeing what's there. Yeah, yeah. 
I hear that with a lot of the, like a friend of mine who goes to the comic store, he says a lot of the big comics, they don't bother doing material at, at the start. They just talk and do what's there. And then they yeah. start going to their material. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess ultimately they can, if they dig any gold mines, they could, de- you know, develop it for material in the future, couldn't they, for a future gig if they sort of stumble across it or something. And one thing I hear from a lot of other comics, they say once you've reached a certain level, they say it's so much easier in a way because people already know you and they trust you to be funny. You don't have to earn their to show that you're funny. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mean, I, I obviously they do do new material nights. I mean, I I did um, what's excess malarkey in Manchester going back about seven or eight years ago, and just before or just after I was on actually, Jack White will turn up to do ten minutes. <laughs> and I thought no one's going to remember what I've done after you know Jack Whitehall's just been on after me. So, but yeah, they so they still turn up to do you know putting the putting it the time. But mm. I guess like you say, there's always they can always they can put rougher stuff to their audience. I guess and they'll be a bit more tolerant, you know, of whether but it's polished or not. One th- one thing I want to ask you about this because one thing I've noticed I've been doing comedy maybe about six seven years something like that. And yeah. I went to watch in London. We have a quite well, you probably hear this a lot. We do a few bringer shows, and I went to support a friend of mine. And um, I mean, this could open a can of worms, but I'm not going to open that can of worms. But uh, I, I noticed when I was watching this show that because I've seen a lot of comedy, there was only maybe two or three, even though it's a new material up, there was only maybe two or three that I thought stood out. The rest, I couldn't really tell the difference between, but, but there was two that really stood out. And one of the thoughts I thought of from that is, when you look at reviewers like maybe Steve Bennett and other people like that, they see tens of thousands of comedians. Yeah. So it, it must take something to really, really surprise them and to recognise. And I think do you feel that as well sometimes? Did you feel that when you were performing with like Rob Beckett and some of the other people, you you could see something that a lot of others comics actually didn't have yet, I would say. Yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, Rob Beckett started out, he used to do this list of um, of uh, people he looked like, because obviously he's got a sort of distinctive look. Um, and I always remember that. So yeah, he had, I think he had the material and he had obviously the personality to to pull it off i mean tom rosenthal i did like a comedy competition in um bath and he was he was like hosting that and um he yeah he didn't have like great like like i say material but he had the pers- personality to pull it off obviously and he's gone on to do great stuff on the telly like sitcoms and stuff so um yeah i think it's it's obviously having a stage presence isn't it in, in a certain respect um as well as material but like i say when you're starting out, the material is never going to be great for anyone, really. Um, you know, unless you've sort of t- tried the material out on like in other environments, I guess. You know, on on your on your family and friends and stuff. But yeah, I think material, yeah, is the thing that obviously needs work on. And if you've got you know a good personality to start you off, then you're sort of sort of like got a launch pad to go from there, really. That, that's that's one thing I noticed. I mean, that's that's, and I find it quite quite funny in a way that it's when you watch a lot of comedy, you, you sometimes get bored, like because you, you see the same sort of patterns, and the yeah. same sort of things, and it's it's very rare when you watch a lot of comedy to see something that surprises you and you go, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I don't, I mean, like I said, I do do a few new tryout nights and stuff, but I don't see a lot on your acts now. Um, but obviously a few gigs, you might see some your acts in the, in the middle. Like, I mean, most of the shows I do now, I sort of open them really, which is great for getting home early. But, um, um, but yeah, I don't see a, a great deal of newer acts really, but I mean, it's like I say, sometimes when I'm on a, a paid bill and obviously if someone, a book has booked them, obviously, you know, they're going to be, uh, you know, if they, you know, cause obviously that's a stepping stone from like a, a five minute, uh, open mic night to a, like a tryout spot on a, on like a proper paid bill. Then that's, you know, that's where people step up their game and you can see, I mean, do the I like, I mean, yeah. And then like, you'll see, um, newer acts do better than some of the paid acts. I mean, I there's there a couple of occasions when I do better than the paid acts, but you know, it's it, it sort of depends what the audience taste is, I guess. But like, yeah. but now, yeah, so yeah, but yeah, you always see like, yeah, newer acts probably steal the show, like you know. <laughs> yeah, and it depends where they are in the lineup as well. People don't often, yeah, yeah. often pay attention yeah. to that, like, and then they. It depends on where they are, isn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It's, I mean, one or two acts in the middle, so, you know, when you get too many acts squashed in and it's sort of, people are just want a toilet break or whatever, so it's hard for them to, you know. Oh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've had, like, this is the thing that uh, I spoke to Spikey Mike on one of the other podcasts. He says in, in some of the shows, you know, if you have 20 people on and like you're having comedians bomb one after the other and it's really long, it feels like a hostage situation, which <laughs> yeah. no one wants to go back to. I mean, it's unless, and that's, that's the thing. It's okay for maybe a couple of acts, one or two acts to bomb, but not like three or four in succession, not doing yeah. that great. That That's hard. And I mean, yeah, because it's like, I like we're going back talking about how you know you get on with the audience or whatever but like I've, I've done shows where like there might be a couple acts in the first section and the break and you see them struggle and then it's sort of like your panic stations you think are they going to go for what I do or are they are they not because they're just not in that mood because obviously they've not enjoyed the first couple acts so you think is it just the mood of the audience you know and sometimes it's it's gone well and turned it around sometimes they've still struggled like everyone else and you think is it just the mood of the audience for the night you know, I'm trying to think of a gig I did now. I'm speaking, we're talking about a couple of years ago now, but yeah, where, yeah, the audience just didn't seem to <laughs> be up for comedy anyway, even though they turned up for a comedy night. <laughs> but I think one of the best things to see as a comedian is to see another comic who's struggling, but who turns it around. I mean, that is yeah. fantastic when you see yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I did, I did a couple of gigs with, um, I can't remember his name is now. No, it's gone. And yeah, well, this act anyway, they they were doing really well, but then they sort of sabotaged it halfway through and then they get it back again. So I guess that's just playing with the audience when you know, you, I mean, they're experienced act. I can't remember what their name is now. It's got from my head. But um, Incognito, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, Incognito. Yeah, I did did a gig with him in um, Gloucester Rugby Club and yeah, he was doing great. And then like he sort of, not, not to say sabotaged it, but like, sort of turn the audience and then manage to turn them back around again so i mean he so many years he's been doing it so i guess that's in his skill set it was like to to do that like sort of play with the audience so. 
sometimes the because I spoke to um Robin Perkins who's a booker and a comedian and she says some when she's booking bills if there's too much on one topic or if there's too much of a similar style she she always varies that and with you being a magic and comic act how do you just if there's another magician on the bill and they do I, one of your tricks that's similar um well the I was supposed to back in last October. I was supposed to do a a wedding, a birthday party actually in London, and the woman said to me that she had another magician on the bill. I don't think I got his name in the end, but obviously it was cancelled with this what's gone on. Um, but on the whole, I've not really performed on a bill with. I did a gig with Wes Zahurak, Canadian prop comedian. Um, he went on after me, but obviously he doesn't do straight out magic. It was more silly prop stuff. But um, but I understand he done just as well like the night flowed um but like uh i'm just trying to think if i've done anything from magic acts i have done Stu turner i did one years ago with him um but i think we sort of talked you know you sort of briefly talk about the things you're going to do i mean there's i mean there's obviously there's certain stock tricks that i don't tend to do um but then obviously every trick has a sort of like a like a vanish or a like a mind reading or certain concepts so Obviously, you don't want too much repetition. I mean, I, going back years ago, I went to a, a magic convention and they had, um, they had like, obviously, it's, it's just a show of magicians and stuff. And they had about two or three magicians doing fucking Lincoln Rings or something, you know. <laughs> so it just got repetitive on the same show. So you'd think there'd have been some sort of pre-organisation on that front. But like, like I say, on the on the circuit, I don't tend to get booked on the same bill as uh, any anyone even like does prop stuff really so I mean there's not many acts that do that but what what would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of being an act that's kind of niche in a way um what's the advantages so the advantages okay. uh I get booked for like like I say people book me for weddings and parties and stuff because obviously you know with a comedian especially if there's younger audience there or different different age groups it can be tricky um so yeah off the back of that but then like doing props and stuff uh, magic and props and stuff i won't get booked to do like stuff on the radio or you know anything that doesn't have a visual medium so it sort of flips you know you know sort of positives and negatives on that front um i do often feel uh, jealous of comedians that can turn up at a gig and just walk out whereas i've got to gather all my crap off the stage um and carry it so I, so mostly I drive to gigs. I have managed to train it to gigs by packing my stuff down into a couple of cases, but it is a pain that's <laughs> dragging the kit around everywhere. And not only take, dragging it around everywhere, but obviously when I turn up for a gig, I mean, if I'm disorganized, I have to then prep stuff. So it works how it's supposed to work because um, everything has to be in a certain place for things to, to work out. Um, so sometimes if I'm especially organized, especially like I've been this last couple of months to start gigging again. So I've been organising, got things done like a day before. So things are prepped and ready. But yeah, so I do do feel jealous on that front of like comedians that can just turn up and uh, yeah, just perform. But um, sometimes I feel like the magic and stuff is an advantage because like I say, if the audience aren't going for comedy for whatever reason, um, then huh. obviously the visual medium kicks in and helps on that front, you know, because it's something visual. So because I know like the first few gags don't hit, then I've got like a different gear to step into, like you know. Ah, uh, I see. 
it's it's easier to win over things when they're not going your way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I say easier. Sometimes they still won't go for it, but you yeah. know, it depends. I say. Yeah. You know, it's funny you said that. I'd love to love to see a comedian make an audience laugh with a smell. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if they, you know, if they use, okay, the magic's not working, the song's not working, the dance's not working, the gag's not working. Right, I'll put a funny smell, that'll make them laugh. But, but what is a funny smell? That's the thing, I don't I don't think everyone would go for a fart, would they? I don't know. Well, I, I think it, it's the most basic human, I think it would work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a comedian I know called Valerio Sara and he sometimes goes on stage and all he does is this little fart noise at the end of a set and he goes, <laughs> and he goes. It, 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 it goes quite well at times but sometimes people just walk out yeah there's um then there a comedian in America who used to smash cakes on the stage of a sledgehammer or something at the end uh, of their act what's his name I can't remember what his name is now, but yeah, that I've always found that bizarre. <laughs> hmm. Now, who, who are like we're talking like different acts? Who are comedians that you gig with that uh, you were uh, you really admire for their creativity and their their brilliant act? Who comedians are? I'm just trying to think now. Um, I mean, I, I I've always like aside from the magic. I was always a fan of one-liners and stuff, so um, I like Noel James out, you know, out in Wales. He's he's great, it's, and it's silly, silly one-liners as well, and concepts and things. Um, I'm just trying to think now. One-liners, who else does one-liners? Um, Mark Simmons, I gig with like once. You know, he's done alright for himself on the telly. So, but yeah, um, but yeah, I, I gig with Matt Price a good few times, and I, I like the, the stories he tells and stuff. Nick Nick Page, great stories, you know, things that have happened to him in his life. Um, so yeah, so there are, there are different styles I, I do I do like. Um, but like I say, sometimes now some of the acts I enjoy, I haven't gigged with for ages, like you know, because obviously it's up to wherever you end up being booked at the end of the day. So, um, who else I'm trying to think of? So, you described yeah. meeting comedians like meeting an ex-girlfriend that you've not seen for a while. <laughs> well, yeah, you you don't. I mean, <laughs> some like sometimes you could go like a month and gig with the same person every every gig. But like, and then I say talking about Price, I've not seen him for a couple of years now. I don't think um, Nick Page, I haven't seen for two or three years. Um, mm. But yeah, so. It's like I say, it's good, you know. It's, it's it's especially good when you meet acts that have been doing it for years and remember who you are. I mean, like I should talk of one line. I should mention Gary Delaney. Like, I mean, he's doing alright for himself now on the telly. Um, but yeah, I when I started out, I remember trying to book a comedy night, and I just put a, back on the Chortle forums back in the day. Um, I remember putting a post up saying, "Oh, who's who's the best headline of the book for like two hundred quid?" And every, every, all these messages come through. And, this is obviously before Gary was on the telly and stuff. They were like, without a doubt, they also Gary Delaney, like you know, and um, but yeah, no, I've gigged with him a good few times, and it's it's so I say it's good, like you know, someone's successful and they remember who you are or know who you are or your name, you know, because obviously you think 
obviously it must be memorable in some respects. I mean, it's bad when I turn up for a gig and like if someone someone remembers me and I don't remember their name, that's always a challenge. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That's... <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I mean, my, my, my partner, she, this talent competition I mentioned I won earlier, she, um, she was singing on the, um, the talent competition and I don't, she goes, oh, do you not remember me? And I was like, no, because there were so many music acts on that night. I just, they sort of just blended into one. So, um, but yeah, we're together now anyway. <laughs> but, that's, yeah. that's how the love story happened. We gloss over that conversation. All, all I do is remind her that I won the prize. So, <laughs> And she was like, yo, fam, I love you now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you mentioned an interesting point there, because like, um, Gary Delaney is with Sarah Milligan, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And your so is your missus uh, what's it called a performing artist? Yeah, she well she sings. She she does like singing gigs. So so aside from we're doing comedy circuit gigs, we do we go out and do like say we do parties and stuff or bookings, and we're we're split up. So we'll either do I do like forty five minutes, she do forty five minutes singing, or we're split up into a three part show where she'll do like singing either side of me doing a spot. Um, and we've also got a friend who does uh, drag acts and um, he he comes along and sort of hosts the show and stuff and interjects between us. So we sort of do a freeway show between us um, down, mostly down south because he's sort of Portsmouth based. So we get a lot, sort of, do a lot of work down that way sort of area, the south coast. So, okay. So yeah, so just mixing up a bit. <laughs> are you guys calling yourself the Del Boy Trotter of entertainment? <laughs> we, we actually call ourselves Music Magic Murph. Um, Oh, so, awesome! So it's, like, so it's like a yeah, mix up, mix up of a bit of everything. So, but yeah. So, how did you guys get to that stage where like you got people saying, "Right, what is son? I need some entertainment. I need Wayne. I need his missus. I need the dragon." But, well, well, what we like I said, we booked done a few working men's clubs and things, but a lot of lot we do is like charity shows and charity fundraisers for people and stuff. Um, because he's quite well connected down in Portsmouth, so. Um, he's been doing this drag act for a while. He started out doing it like when he used to live in, or he lived in Turkey for a while or something. So he started out over there doing it. He's a little bit older than us, but yeah. So he sort of books us in for stuff, and obviously because we got we got all our own kit and stuff, uh, PA kit and that. So we take the shows from as well, and that. So the lighting and everything. So, so yeah, it all works. <laughs> but effectively, whatever anyone says about you as a whole you are effectively living the comedy life of traveling and getting paid to do what you enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> and then how did you get to that? Two questions I want to follow on that. Is that how did it get to the stage where you were able to travel, get paid doing loads of different variety types of gigs? And how did you, what's the other question? Yeah. How did you adapt to the pandemic before things started getting back to normal? Um, well, fortunately, I managed to survive um, on that front. I mean, I, I I did one charity show on, I say charity show, I was asked to do something on Zoom, and I just basically give the guy a clip of me at, um, uh, what's the, I can't remember the place called in Brighton now, it's gone from my head, Comedia in Brighton. So I just give him a clip of that to play for the, like this charity show, fundraising show. But I was still clear of doing the um, Zoom stuff because 
I just, it's, it's just too much. I mean, I didn't get into early doors and I probably should have done really because obviously it went on longer than anyone expected. This whole, you know, it's dragged on longer than anyone expected. But um, I, I have developed ideas now. So should it happen again, which we hope it doesn't, um, then I, I think I'll be a bit more prepared. But um, but yeah, it's, it, was, it was weird. Like, you know, because like, it, I think it's got to the stage where I don't advertise wholly and people just come to me for, I mean, I, I do a lot of work for a, uh, a booking website, which is great because, you know, when you search for a magician or something in Hampshire or something, it, it was coming up, like putting me, putting me like at the top with their um, SEO, or whatever it's called on Google. So, so a lot of people would see me on there and obviously a few good reviews on their helps. And, um, and people, I think from that was coming to me direct via my website to, bypass the booker so i didn't need to have the top um like google ranking on my website because obviously someone else had it and obviously had my name so then i was getting the bookings i probably shouldn't say this because they'll probably hear this and change it <laughs> but yeah so i was getting a lot of bookings coming direct to me via my website so which has helped so in certain respect but yeah i guess it's just a, a case of you know knowing when the time is right really that you can afford to do it hmm. do you Okay, I'm going to record this bit and I may delete it because you sounded a bit iffy about that part. A bit well past the... About the rankings things or whatever. No, 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 that's fine. Because no, like I say, if it, people, people people come to me um, like on the website, I mean, I, I did, going back years ago, there was another website that done the same thing. It's called uh, Checker Talent and there was a, because there's a thing called Checker Trades, so where you can get trades people, people leave their reviews and stuff. My brother used because he's a carpenter he used to advertise his services on there and they charge like an extortionate amount uh, per year to be a member basically to, and when they did check a talent they did it on commission from gigs so people would contact you i think they've done a couple of gigs for it but basically ultimately they, it went bust or went kaput because a lot of people were getting contacted direct because once you've got a, an, an axe name you know you can go to them direct you don't want to be paying a third party like a commission so um but like when people come to me on my website, I'm just assuming that they, you know, in certain instances that they've come to me after seeing me, you know, I don't always ask how they've sort of heard about me. Sometimes I do, if I'm a bit curious. I mean, I should have asked the guy when I did the golf club the other day, because <laughs> sometimes you end up in certain places, you wonder how. I mean, this guy, this guy, yeah, booked me for this um, golf club and he was, it was like, he offered me more money because I, I think he thought I underquoted, and then he told me that there was like people coming from Goldman Sachs and stuff on this golf day and all this. <laughs> and then people subsequently told me, "Goes, oh, I used to charge them a lot more." But you know, at the end of the day, I was comfortable. You know, because that's the other thing was when I've turned up to, to gigs and something when I'm offering a lot more money, you feel under more pressure to um, be better, basically, than when they're offering you like a little bit of money. So, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, so I know which site as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a site that's been used by a lot of comics, isn't it? And it's been quite popular. I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and so you you've just basically taken the opportunities that have thrown at you effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. But yeah, it's 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 interesting. <clears throat> what else is there? Who who is your 
one, one thing I've noticed is that do you know Jack Gleader? Yes, I gig with him uh, beginning of last month. Actually, it's the first time I met him. Actually, oh, yeah. he's great, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And Stuart Goldsmith, and there's a, f I think there's a few others, but it's I've noticed that there are quite a lot of former magicians or magicians and street performers who come into comedy. Yeah. Is do you think there's a reason for it, or what do you think's the thing that leads them to it? Um. I don't know. I guess it's warmer inside, but um, <laughs> I, I, I um, funny enough, I the last time I gig with Stuart Goldsmith, was, I don't know, that's the first only time I've met him. Um, it was going back about six, seven years ago now, and um, he, he talked. We talked about um, street performing, and I, I, I think I offended him by saying it's a form of begging. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I guess, I guess it's it's an evolve. You know, you don't want to be out because I, I guess. It's not a it's not a you know confirmed income, is it? Being out performing on the streets, you know, and it, it can be harder, especially like saying all weathers. Um, whereas, but obviously, it stands you in good stead for doing the comedy circuit because if you can draw a crowd from nothing, then it, it's you know you've got to have something in your personality to, that will translate to the comedy circuit. I think so. But it's yeah, I've I've, I've tried it a few times, and like they do lots of like two or three 50 minutes sets in an hour and yeah. they do it for a whole day yeah so they i spoke to some of them in london they say they can get up five times a day doing our shows yeah i mean it, like i say if, if you're in the right sort of touristy spot then yeah you can i guess you can make a good bit of money on it but yeah i just i don't know i think it's uh i mean i i've seen i've been up to like when I've been on the Thames and I've seen a few people doing stuff along the Thames and in um, Covent Garden. But like when you see magicians doing it, they always tend to be doing the same. Like, I mean, I did see a guy doing different tricks actually, but he was struggling for an audience. But whenever I, the other magicians I've seen, they've always done like the cups and balls and things like that. So I guess there's only certain tricks that lend themselves to being out on the street. I guess you don't want things blowing away. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, I had that when the first time I tried it. I tried doing the cups and the balls and they kept them blowing away. <laughs> but it's, um, and I blew them away. No. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, the, the most I've got from street performing is about a tenner. And I was doing <laughs> Hammersmith, right? And I was trying to get some people in. I was doing the magic, doing all this stuff, and some people stopped and I engaged with them. And there was another comedian there, but the only time that it worked was these two drunk American tourists came in. They they liked the stuff, and then they handed me ten or twenty pound, and then that was it. And the comedian says, "Oh, I was impressed by that." And I was like, "Well, you should see me in the other bits. That was a lucky one." <laughs> I did that uh, when I was in my ex in, in Bath. We we're walking back to my car where I parked, and um. This guy was obviously, I don't know, he'd been doing stuff in the street and he, he just sort of come up to us down the side street. It was sort of like about five in the afternoon and obviously he finished the day and he had a couple of bits of rope on him and he wanted, he was desperate to perform a rope trick for us in the street. But the funny thing was at the same time, I'd been learning the concepts of the same rope trick. So I knew knew every move he was doing. Um, and, he, and then he sort of like pestered us for a bit of money. So I think I had about 50p on me in change. So <laughs> that's what he got. But he, just, he stopped us in the street for about five minutes. It was a bit bizarre. <laughs> was it the professor's nightmare? 
Uh, I think it was a version of that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a version, there's different versions of that. Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, you, with the, the, the concepts of the Professor's Nightmare, you can take it off into like different tents. I mean, I used to do a rope trick in my act, but um, it was based on an American magician's idea, and it was it's probably a bit too sort of rude near the knuckle to do these days, so I sort of stopped doing it. And it was costing me a fortune buying rope all the time because every time, like people always ask, well, you know, about the rope. But obviously, what they don't realise is when you're cutting the rope, you're just cutting a bit off the end of the rope. So every every gig, I need a new length of rope. So it's it's, it's costing me about thirty quid a time for about fifty foot of this stuff. So yeah, that's that's the that's the thing I get with the 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 tearing notes trick. That must cost a bit, or. Uh, tearing bank notes, no, because I recycle them. <laughs> so, like, like, um, yeah, I do. I tend. To, I mean, I mean, everything like prop wise, I use. I mean, I use a lot of envelopes in my act because it's good for hiding things and doing secret moves. But um, I there was a, there was a part of my act where I burn burn an envelope, and I I was obviously doing a lot in venues. You worry about smoke, so I got to the stage where I I use a specific type of envelope. Because I know it doesn't create as much smoke when it burns. Because <laughs> so, otherwise, I mean, once, once I think I did a gig and I set a smoke alarm off in the venue. So, <laughs> but yeah, you don't want to be doing that and upsetting the people. No. So. <laughs> you didn't get that too bad where the alarm clock started going off. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't think anyone evacuated. We were just staying in the building, but yeah, <laughs> it took a while from the kill the alarm. <laughs> no. One of the things that I'd like to ask, so things that I want to ask you about are like, and these are to, to do with sort of comedy clubs. So what were comedy clubs like back when you started to how they are now? And because you mentioned genres, but how and which, uh, which are sort of comedy clubs that you love and what, what, what are some comedy clubs that you've seen where they do everything wrong? Don't say um, the names, but like, what have you? How could comedy clubs do their job better? I mean, ninety-nine percent of the comedy gigs I do now are aren't a, a specific club. I mean, I've done a few in actual specific clubs for comedy, but everything these days is uh, running a different venue. So the venues are never constructed perfectly for comedy. So you might be stood on a set of steps at a gig, or you know, you could be in various. I mean, my favourite type of gigs now I do. Um, I do a lot in the um, Cotswolds for a guy called Ken Norman. He does, um, oh, what's it? Sheep Comedy. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so and they're in like little village halls and stuff. So, and it's great when the village come out or whatever people come out and, you know, you've brought comedy to their sort of, their sort of space. So they, I mean, they always go down where they're always up for a laugh. But I mean, what do comedy clubs do wrong? I think, yeah, ultimately, trying to run comedy clubs in rooms that probably aren't the best space for 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 comedy um to, like to overly lit up the room is for example or or um just yeah it's you know where the seat the seating set out I'm just trying to think oh, i've done the room recently I've not done a lot recently um but yeah i think ultimately I don't think I don't know. I don't think we're ever going to go back to having venues that are specifically just comedy clubs, especially with the way the world's just gone. So, 
Mm. I think they, they, especially like I say, junglers are starting out again, but I don't think they'll ever go to the stage where they have, I mean, even the time before now, they were running in nightclubs and stuff. So I don't think anywhere is going to have a specific comedy club room anymore. So unless, I mean, unless it's a space that does other stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah, not specific to comedy. Yes, there's there's a comedy club um, in Malaysia, and I'm interviewing the guy who runs it. It's called the Crack House, and he, um, what he's done to adapt to it is he's selling out lots of pizzas, and he's yeah. putting um, like one minute, like one second clip DVDs of people with those pizzas yeah. and selling yeah. them to people. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it's 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 that's. You're right about that. I think that's that's what I've seen done. But I think in Monkey Bow they've sort of adapt, they adapted it to being just a bar selling alcohol. Yeah, I mean, there's um, I suppose there is um, the comedy station in Blackpool, but then that's a tour, touristy sort of hotspot. So I guess you're gonna, although I don't know how they get on sort of the winter time, but yeah, I guess. Like you say, I've, I mean, I've, 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 I haven't given a comedian for a while. There was a time when they used to sell DVDs and stuff at the back of a gig, but I've not really gigged with anyone that's done that for a while. So just to make a bit of extra income. Because so. hmm. one of the things I often hear about from a lot of the comedy circuit is that people like the, you could get on just, it was easy to get gigs and you could get on way before, like, being an open spot with loads and loads of I mean you still can with lots of pro acts but I meant like you get paid way more back then like people would make their entire living off genres gigs yeah yeah I mean yeah there's uh, yeah there's um, the, the money's not raised risen the same as you know in proportion to what it was in the 90s say like I mean I, I didn't want gigging then but like yeah you know, from what you, the money's not really gone up since then, whereas obviously the cost of living has exponentially, like you know, since then. Yeah. It's is it would you say it's because of so many comedians now that's what's made it like that in the market? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are, but then I think they're probably a, a, a dropout rate just the same, especially open spots and stuff, but. Um, also, there's not maybe the, the venues or the, 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 like I say, I guess, jonglers and stuff. I mean, I guess a lot of people probably start out to try and get on the telly and that. But, um, I mean, TV comedy now, there's definitely a lot more lot more acts they're putting on the telly. Sort of mixing up a bit more rather than using the same sort of 10 stock acts. But, um, but yeah, there are, there are a lot of... A lot of acts. I mean, like I say, I, I don't tend to gig in London much these days unless I've, obviously someone's booked me to go up there. So I don't see a lot of the open spots, but I, I know some bills have like 20 odd acts on, you know. So that could be, That's a nightmare. like I say, unless you've got something to, stand, <laughs> something to make you stand out, I guess it's a challenge, isn't it? So. Oh, yeah. But it's. But what. <clears throat> One thing I found quite funny, and people still do it, is. You know they complain about not being paid for gigs, but yet they still book, they still perform for people that don't pay them. Yeah, um, yeah, it amazes me. Um, I there's a there's a there's a booker I was owed money from, and he, I he's come up with every excuse under the book, and then I I 
he did eventually say, I'll pay you. So he asked me to do a gig and I turned up for a gig. And then I did another one for him after that. Like he paid, yeah, he paid me for the gigs he owed me after doing that one. And then I did another gig. I wasn't going to gig for him. Then I did another gig for him. And um, he basically stalled over the payment again. So at that point, once I got the money, I just, that's it. I sort of didn't reply to his text anymore and stopped dealing with him because it's just too much stress trying to, you know, be chasing after people for money. I mean, I, uh, I, at the moment, I've just handed a case over to Equity because there's a gig I did a, a month ago and the, the guy's not paid us yet. So, but yeah, I don't like hanging on for money months on end, you know, anything over a month when I start getting questioning where, why, you know, because it's not. I mean, I know Axe have lost lots of money from not being paid for gigs and it amazes me how they sort of let it go, you know. Yeah, there's not, there's not any, um, that's what I find quite funny. Like, and it's, Equity are awesome. They, they, yeah. they. <clears throat> I spoke to a magician who's who's uh, made his living off it, and he makes an agreement with each venue he performs that they pay him before the show starts. Yeah, yeah, like one before, one that, and then boom. Yeah. It's... The um, when I do like private bookings and stuff, weddings and stuff, I always uh, try and try and be trusted of the person and they say, oh, do you want a deposit? And I, I don't personally take a deposit. I mean, I, I've been burnt a few times where people are cancelled last minute. But when I do these bookings for this other website that I use, they take a deposit anyway. So, but um, I, and then I say in the instance, obviously you can pay us on the day or, you know, pay us in the week leading up to it and I'll send the details over. So most people sort of pay up front. Um, but one woman did pay me for a wedding last it's supposed to be last june then it got pushed to december but she actually yeah, paid paid me all the money up front um and then it got pushed to this june and then she said for the final time it's been pushed back to next year which is fine because i thought she's paid me the money so you know honor it and then yeah. and she she wrote to me one email and she said oh basically the wedding's off so then i didn't reply because i was like i've got to now give her the money back so i uh didn't reply and then like within a, a day of that she sent me another email saying and oh, i know it's back on again so i was like oh great and then a week later she said sent me an email basically explaining that her husband had been, or husband to be had been cheating on her and basically <laughs> the wedding was completely off so, <laughs> so, <I had> <laughs> <laughs> so but, but, yeah because she, she, she booked it through this website i just give her back less the deposit she paid them so but she thinks she was happy so but yeah, that's why I don't tend to take the money up front, really, because obviously, like, especially what's happened last year, if I'd taken loads of money up front, I'd have been fine to give it back to people, you know, with things <laughs> being cancelled left, right and centre. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. <laughs> what? Yeah. I mean, I feel for the lady, but my God, that is a funny story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Have you had a lot of that over the years? Like lots of funny stories. Like... Um, not so much with the. Uh, I mean, I've done like when I talk of weddings. I did a did a wedding in uh, down near Bournemouth Airport a couple of years back, and the couple were um, insistent. When well, no, I so that the job come in, it was advertised online. I saw it and I thought I didn't sort of bother offering to do it. And then they they contacted me direct obviously they saw my profile on the site and basically they asked me to present the wedding ceremony um outside in the gardens of this house um a friend's house 
and basically pretend to be like the minister doing overseeing the ceremony. So, and I'm not an actor or anything by any stretch of the imagination, but basically I went up, met, met up with them and sort of got to know them a bit and stuff. And basically, yes, I presented this uh, like wedding ceremony to them whilst everyone was sat on hay bales in the, in the garden. And then from that, I then did like my act for like 20 minutes afterwards. And it was, it was interesting. I mean, the, the, someone was videoing it, um, they had like a videographer there, but I've not, not heard from them since whether, <laughs> what the video came out like, but the guy was like insisting on connecting his microphone up and everything to get the audio. But I mean, it's interesting hearing the people then, like, cause they were like, well, we didn't know what was going on, whether it was real or not, because obviously I was like fluffing the lines and stuff like on purpose to make it, and sort of trying to make it entertaining, you know, obviously. But yeah, it was definitely a challenge coming up with something a little bit different to bolt onto the front of my act. So that was a weird one. <laughs> now, what if if my name was um, what's it called, New Comic Bob, and I asked you for advice in comedy? What advice would you give him to get the best out of themselves and also? to avoid any miscellaneous demeanours performed on them? <laughs> um, I'd say get out of London, get, you know, they're London, get out of London, you know, gig in different places around the country. Um, obviously, work on new material and don't settle on what you've got and think it's great, you know. See see what different audiences, how different audiences would, um, you know, take to it. The other thing I'd say is something I don't do now is um, post pretty much post anything on social media, on fa on Facebook. Don't start arguments with people, um, because um, I I see a lot of stuff of acts and things acts are posted online, um, and I'm sure bookers probably do as well. So you, you know you don't want to be getting in someone's bad books and not knowing why. Um, is it Andrew Lawrence has posted some racist stuff about the football last night? today and i've seen on facebook today that some venues basically doesn't want him doing a gig there so you know i mean he's an extreme example but yeah not just on that you know any any you know it doesn't have to be racist stuff it could just be any sort of argument or political point yes. not worth the, you know. oh my god yeah what's it called it's even if it's like nick dixon for example He's he's a very good comic, and people have really torn him for shreds. What he said, and and a lot of things you can take and get taken out of context. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And yeah, no, the, you know, there's sarcasm. Obviously, works face to face. You can see it, but you can't see it in the written form. You know, if someone's trying to be sarcastic or, like you say, how they're delivering it. So, it... Well, one of the things I found quite funny was I was <clears throat> at the moment. It, I'm looking at test some stuff out and get a lot of material and at the moment most of the gigs will bring us and that's a lot yeah. of effort to go and yeah. do that so i thought right i'll start posting and see what nights there are in other parts of the uk so i can go out and test some stuff out i did that and then i had some like i had a few of them try and bait me into an argument all i asked was was a list of gigs and they wanted to try and they struck they tried saying this and that and they one of them tried tagging me in a silly post but i was a bit like I see where this is going, mate. So I just, just, just blocked them and left it. Like I'm not getting involved in any silliness. I just want to yeah, do yeah. comedy and make people laugh. That's yeah. it. Yeah, that's the thing. I think yeah. If if you want to, you know, it's like any workspace. You wouldn't do stuff in front of potential employers, you know. So like I say, 
you know, obviously everyone's got political points and, you know, opinions, but it's just, yeah, it's just not worth it. I mean, if you're going to, if you, if you want to do that, then have a, you know, separate profile perhaps, you know, to post your opinions and stuff that, you know, not in, you know, it's like yeah. I saw someone that was like making a comment and someone said, oh, the bookers are going to see that and stuff. And he was like, well, I've got plenty of people that book me and that, you know, but, you know, but like I said, so I don't, yeah, don't post anything. So it might not, to, to the outside world, it might not look like I'm not seeing what's going on, but I am always constantly watching conversations and stuff. And like you say, you see certain acts <clears throat> start arguments and things and you think that's interesting, like, you know, and then you sort of understand why you never see them at gigs and that, you know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because they because they cause arguments and drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. So that's what I mean. So if you're seeing it, seeing it online, then you know people don't want it in the. I mean, it's even all this, you know, conversation last year about sexual, you know, inappropriateness by blokes and stuff. You know, things like that. It's just like don't get involved in those conversations. You know, as a bloke, it's not my opinion's not relevant. You know. Especially, you know, when women are talking about feeling safe and that, you know. Well, it's quite funny as well. Just because you're going to say this and that, it doesn't mean that it's going to happen. Like, it's, it's yeah. it, the thing that I find quite just, just if you want to do something about it, do it. Don't yeah, yeah. say you're going to do it or do this and that. If you really just do it and don't, yeah. you don't need to say anything. Yeah. But like, t talking of like bookers and stuff, I, I mean, this is not related to this discussion, but I, like when I talk about like booking, working with certain people, I did like going back a few years ago, message a few bookers up north. And one of the bookers I messaged um, runs quite a few gigs around the sort of Midlands, north sort of area. He, he basically wrote back to me and said that he only booked acts that live within 50 miles of his venues. Um, and when I could see the acts that are on in his venues travelled up from London and stuff, uh, I just basically said, "Oh, okay, fair enough. I'll um, I'll let you know when I bought a house in the area." Like, you know? <laughs> but I, I guess it's his way of saying he didn't book maybe book like magic acts or prop acts or anything. You know, I mean, I looked at his bills and I guess he's got certain. Oh, you know, he maybe didn't like the video, but it was his way of I guess politely declining me <laughs> to book me or give me a trial spot. I mean, it, it always made me laugh, just stuck in my head because. And he said, yeah, I only book people living 50 miles. And I thought, especially for comedy gigs, there's not many acts that live in 50 miles of a lot of venues, you know, mm. all the time. Or a great selection of acts. So. Yeah, well, it's, I think because a lot of the times from the booker's point of view, they're a bit scared of what the response yeah. is if they're too honest. Because I think sometimes, yeah. I've seen it as well sometimes. I, I, I only I book a few boutique gigs, like some paid gigs, some new material spots. But yeah. like it's better just you have to do that because of, yeah like some of them completely lose it and yeah. they have a big issue of you and this and that but it's just sometimes it's just a vid as you said sometimes it's just a video it's not it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that you're bad it's the yeah, like, yeah. but like or, um yeah i mean a lot a lot of people say oh you know i won't bother responding which is fair enough because that's probably better not to get a response you know, but a lot of acts, new acts starting out, they find that hard to believe, you know, why have they not replied to me either way? But like if, when you're getting hundreds of responses to an advert for a gig, you know, you can't respond to everyone. So, hmm. you know, I guess it's, I mean, I've booked, I've booked a few gigs. I'll say a few gigs, maybe like two or three back in the day. But like, because I was sort of so far out of London and stuff, we didn't get a lot of applicants to be fair. 
but um it was like even then it was like I just sort of didn't reply to the ones that were unsuccessful because like you say you can't can't sort of please everyone and then I guess yeah sometimes it's probably worse replying and saying no like you say people yeah. are taking the heart work they're not getting a response you know because people forget about sending a message for a gig you know yeah I think it's it's probably the better thing to do because it's just just bloody hell man the the, the the stuff you can sometimes get if you well even if you try and be nice and you say yeah. and be be very polite it's still going to get an adverse reaction yeah or they or they could constantly keep pestering you from oh, that's true that's on the worst. But yeah so i had to what's it called i had a what's it called a life coach pester me to get on the podcast it's a bit like yeah. the podcast. My podcast isn't Joe Rogan. It's not like yeah. Stuart Goldsmith's podcast. I mean, it's a fairly new podcast. I get a few listeners here and there, and it's growing steadily. But I'm no big yeah. dog here. So, like, you're yeah. you're spending a lot of effort on on uh, on someone who's not going to give you that much yet. Yeah. Yet, it's. <laughs> and I said politely, I've already had them on the podcast, but they still kept to messaging me, and then I just yeah. eventually just ignored them. Yeah. Probably the best way sometimes. Now, I just want to say it's been a lot of fun chatting to you on the podcast. Do you want to? Do you want me to tell you a quick horror story that I, of a gig or the, the the things that yeah the things that I'd like to ask now are like yeah. what is what so the three things I want to ask. What's the biggest thing you've gained from comedy? Yeah. Um, what's been the biggest what the fuck moment? Yeah. And how do people get in contact with you, find out about your work, and yeah, see you before? Um, so the biggest positive, um, probably not just from comedy, but from magic and stuff, is that when I was younger, I didn't really talk. To, I mean, I, I'm still shy now. I can be around the wrong person, you know, the wrong, you know, I don't know people. But I'm not, a you know, everyone says that they do it because they're sort of have a, you know, and awkward around people or whatever you know but i yeah so it's given me a lot more confidence to talk to people and stuff um because like i say when i was younger i never used to talk to girls or women or anything um and yeah it's just given me a lot more confidence basically to talk to people i don't know um and especially when you hold in a room with that you're coming out of speaking and they're like paying attention to every word it's sort of it's this mind-blowing really compared to a, like i say when i was younger i wouldn't talk to people so I'd say on that front, it's sort of, yeah, give me a lot more confidence. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll just talk about the biggest what the fuck moment. Um, I did a, got booked to host a NHS talent competition in uh, Winchester uh, a couple of years ago. And it was uh, basically NHS staff doing a talent competition. So they're all doing like different talents. They've done it the year before. And I, yeah, I was booked to host it. And I, I've only compared a couple gigs because, like, I just got my act I do. So, but I was like, I can throw, you know, he said I throw a few tricks in and stuff when hosting the show at the start because they didn't have, they had like one magic act on and the singers and like a pole dancer and like a fire performer. And um, so basically, yeah, so it turns up and he sort of went through like what was going to happen. And basically, I was to introduce the act and they had like a little video they played out. But I was told that I wasn't allowed to. To give away what the performer was going to do before they went on and um there was a fire performer and i was it this was like a month or two after the um the church what's that one 
the church place burnt down in um, France. I can't remember what it's called now. Big, big old cathedral, whatever it was. Um, so I was gonna, I was gonna go on by introducing her and saying, "Oh, you probably know, heard about her last gig where she did it with this, uh, this cathedral that burnt down," you know. But I didn't because obviously I wasn't allowed to. I was, I would have, I probably would have said it at the end after she'd been on. But anyway, she went on and she was doing like fire breathing and uh, she had these like candle wick thingies she'd set fire to and she handed them to this young guy she had as like a spotter and he struggled to struggle to put them put them out so I'd helped assist him with a damp towel they had off side of stage uh, to put the um put it out which he did but within a split second of him doing that she'd set herself on fire basically on stage like her face went up um and he had he had a fire extinguisher hand so I assisted him with putting the fire extinguisher on her to put her out but in the meantime, she scattered bits of various fire equipment around the stage. And also one of the, the curtains on the stage caught fire. Bear in mind, this is a theatre, like theatre in Winchester. Um, but the, obviously the curtain must have been treated with some sort of flammable material. So that that went out by itself, fortunately. So we put it out and basically she yeah, set herself alight. And they basically cut the show at half time. And they decided that they would um, could tell the... Uh, the performance for the second half because obviously what happened and obviously the audience had all witnessed this and there was there was like a children in there I think I got before I we started I got like a six-year-old up on stage so young children had witnessed this and she was she was putting in the juice coma for about a week two weeks and um, she's still having uh, surgery now to reconstruct her chest and face where she got burned basically and that was yeah, probably one of the most horrific stories um to be to be part of basically to witness but they i mean they were having like trauma counseling at the hospital i think for some of the, the people that witnessed it they were like having sessions and stuff you know but not i didn't go along but they did they did reconvene the show like six months later or five months later but unfortunately i was booked up so i can host that one <laughs> but yeah so that was a that was a mad 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 gig <laughs> but what was, what was the other question sorry you said on the, these last three um how do people <laughs> that is quite a story mate uh, <laughs> how, how, how do people get in touch with you and find out about your work um yeah so uh wayne the weird uh, i'll just google search that basically you can find me on facebook twitter uh what not uh, yeah got a facebook page website so yeah wayne the weird uh, there's some videos on there <laughs> on youtube as well so. okay Guys, listen up, yeah, fans. If you if you want to find out about Wayne, you know where to go. And of course, guys, subscribe, share with your friends, um, give us a, of course the five star view on Amazon or iTunes. If you didn't like the podcast, don't tell anyone. Don't give no reviews or anything. And of course, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, guys, I'll see you in the next episode. Wayne, any last words? Uh, no, thanks for thanks for your time and uh, it's been a pleasure. To a bit of therapy to talk these things through.